Well, we've given Pastor Chad a little time off here, so I'm back. <laughs> this is the last Sunday of 2015. Can you believe that? You're shot by really fast. And traditionally, this time you know, of year, we, we kind of reflect back. Okay, let's, let's talk about 2015. How, how did it go? I'm sure for most of us, there was some good news and bad news. You know, for me, good news, I lost 30 pounds. Bad news, I gained 40. <sighs> A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of staying in one of Tacoma's elite establishments, St. Joseph Hospital. Spent a couple weeks there enjoying being waited upon hand and foot. My meals brought to me, menu I got to choose from. Karen said, don't get used to that. While I was there, Pastor Chad came to visit me, as well as the other pastor. What's his name? John, back there. And elders and... uh, But when Pastor Chad came to visit me, he read a passage of scripture, and and he prayed for me. And unbeknownst to him, he read one of my very favorite passages of scripture, uh, one of my favorite gospel accounts, and it's the account where Jesus calms the storm. And after he read that passage of scripture, and he prayed with me and for me, He left, and the Lord used that to plant a seed in my mind because I knew that I would be preaching here the end of the year. And as I was just laying there doing nothing uh, for a couple weeks, I meditated on it, and I thought about it, and and it kind of grew. And so I'd like for us to, uh, to go there today. It's in, found in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. Let me read that for you today. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat, And there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Abba, Father, we come to you today. And we ask that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Father, not just teaching us facts, not just knowledge, Lord, but we're, we're asking, Lord, that, that you transform our mind 
and you, you transfigure our lives to be in conformity with Christ Jesus. Father, use your word and your Holy Spirit to change us today. I pray in Christ Jesus' name, amen. In this passage, there are four questions. I'm going to use the four questions today as kind of my outline for the message. The first question is found over here in verse 38. It says, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, here's question number one, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now let me give you a little background here. If you go back a chapter, Mark chapter 3, verse 13, says Jesus went up into the hills and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed the twelve, designating them as apostles, that they might be with him, that they might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Then he goes on and he lists them. So it is chronologically in the ministry of our Lord, this is very early. (coughs) Excuse me. Very early. He had just appointed his 12 apostles. That puts it very early in his three-year ministry. So to be fair with the 12, we can say they were just kind of getting used to being with Jesus. They were just kind of starting off. They were new believers. Now, it doesn't mean that they had, they had just seen him, though. Uh, they, they had seen him heal the sick. They had seen him cast out demons. If we go to Mark chapter 3 again, verse 10. Just back up a little bit. Verse 7 says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, so the disciples are with him. It says, for he had healed many, so that those with diseases uh, were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out. So, so get the picture here. The disciples had witnessed Jesus healing. They had witnessed him casting out demons. But, but it's kind of a new experience. They had followed him. Because they had followed him, Jesus appointed them as his apostles. So at this stage, they're convinced enough that Jesus is the promised Messiah. They just don't understand the extent of what that means. They don't understand the the extent of of his power. And so over in Mark chapter 4, question number one, don't you care if we drown? Now, there are other questions they could have asked him at this point. They could have said, don't you know the boat is sinking? Okay, that would have been a good question. They could have said, don't you know that we're in the middle of this huge storm here? They could have said, don't you know that we're about to die? Those are all knowledge-based questions. Don't you know? Their question isn't about knowledge. It's not about how much he knows. Their question is whether or not he cares. 
it's one thing to know that God knows what's going on in my life. It's a completely different thing for me to know that he cares. Now, I believe God is omniscient. Now, that's the theological word that means he's all-knowing. You know, we got these omnis, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. We don't have an omni for caring, okay? We need somebody come up with an a, with a expression, omnicaring. It doesn't quite work. Uh, omni-empathetic, that eh, one doesn't work either, okay? But we really need to understand that he is all caring. If God were all-knowing, but not all-caring, then, then he could know what's going on in our life, but he could just walk away and leave us out there dangling, you know, trying to fend for ourselves. We would have no confidence that, that God would come to our aid when we're going through the trials and the tribulations of life. You know, he could really be the absentee landlord of the universe if he didn't care. He could know what's going on, but if he didn't care, then he could just sit back and do nothing. We would be on our own to solve our problems. We'd be on our own to, to get ourselves out of, out of uh, danger or, or trouble. So the first question that you and I need to come to grips with today is, am I convinced that God cares about me and the problems that come my way? Am I convinced that God really cares about me? I want to share some personal things with you this morning because I don't want this just to be a theoretical, you know, here's some principles out there don't really apply in our life. I'm not doing it to garner sympathy or to say, look at me, I'm somebody special. But just to let you know that, that I struggle too. Well, one thing I really appreciate about Pastor Chad is that Pastor Chad shares his struggles with us, okay? He lets us know that, you know, he's, he's not way above us in any way struggling. Let me tell you about one of my struggles. Ten and a half years ago, I want you to keep that number in mind. Ten and a half years ago, I was diagnosed with a disease called polycythemia vera. That's a mouthful, okay? Polycythemia vera. If you go to the Mayo Clinic website, it, it defines polycythemia vera this way. It says, polycythemia vera is a slow-growing type of blood cancer in which your blown marrow makes too many red blood cells. There, now you know what polycythemia vera is. Okay. The average life expectancy from the time of diagnosis is 11 years. Okay. What am I on? Ten and a half, okay? Do you think this has been a little bit on my mind during the year? Yeah, okay. You know, I, I, you know growing close to the 11-year mark, uh, you know, kind of in my mind, I'm on that boat with the disciples, only my boat's been filling up for ten and a half years, okay? It's a very slow, sinking boat, but it's still sinking, right? Water, getting close to the top. 
Now, what I need to know is not does God know about that. What I need to know is does God care about that. That makes a lot of difference. Several of us were gathered together a few days ago, and somebody made the comment, 2015 was probably the worst year of my life. And there were several people in the room who agreed, yeah, 2015 was a a difficult year. It was a difficult year for me. It was a difficult year for my family. You know, back in February, I had surgery to remove a a growth on my vertebrae. Was pushing on my nerves, causing me a lot of pain. You know, I was out of work for a few months. Two of our adult children are going through struggles in their marriages. Our daughter from New Zealand came home for a couple weeks trying to, to sort out some things in her marriage. And you know, I find watching your children go through struggles is probably more difficult than going through them yourself. Boy, you know, I thought once they turned 18, out the door, no more problems, no more worries, you know, mm, no, no. On Veterans Day, of course, I went in the hospital because of breathing difficulties. The first two attempts they tried to, to regulate my breathing didn't work, and the doctors were, tr- were struggling to try to find out what, what would work. I have never in my life been in the hospital for two weeks straight, Okay. I found out something. I didn't like it. (laughs) They don't let you sleep in the hospital. You know, they come in every three hours to do something to you there, usually involving a needle. Uh, My good friend, Chris Devine, been in the hospital for two months now. I think it's two months. It's been longer than that, at least two months. Joan, his mom is here. In fact, I was on my way to go over and see Chris the day I ended up in the hospital myself. And, and, you know, so I'm concerned for him. I'm concerned for for Sarah. I'm I'm concerned for Joan. You know, looking back this last Sunday of 2015, you know, what struggles are you going through right now? What, What trials and tribulations are you experiencing? And then ask yourself this question. Am I fully convinced that God cares? Am I fully convinced that God cares? We know he knows about them, but does he care that you're struggling? Does he care that you're hurting? Does he care that you're struggling daily just to keep from sinking? In fact... Until we are convinced that he cares, we really can't go on to the next step. We'll always be stuck where we're at. Let me give you a couple affirmations. I believe in affirmations. I believe in speaking the truth. The truth sets us free from the lies of the enemy. I like these affirmations because they're scripture, so we know there's no problem. First Peter Five seven. First Peter five seven. Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. Boy, could that be any simpler? You know, he cares for you. That that really solves and settles the issue. 
He does care. If he didn't care, then he's lying. If he's lying, he's not God, because God can't lie. How about Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30? Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. If your burden is not easy to bear, if it isn't light, then it isn't one that God wanted you to take on. Because the ones he gives are easy to bear, and they are light. Father, Help us to be fully convinced in our heart and in our mind that you really care about us. Help us to cast aside those lies of Satan that that says that that you don't care, that, that you aren't even aware sometimes, Lord. Father, may we affirm right now, right here today, We believe you care about what we're going through in our life. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let me give you a little side note here. When I was in the hospital, they checked on my polycythemia vera to see how far it had progressed in the 10 years. There are certain things that they can use, the the spleen grows and things like that. What they find out is that my polycythemia had not advanced at all in 10 years. I'm going to beat that 10, 11-year average by a long shot, okay? So that was kind of good. I got to go to the hospital, got to push that whole concern off to the side. All right, I'm good, probably for a lot more years. So first question, don't you care? Let's go on to the next question. We find that down in Mark chapter 4, verse 40. He said, Jesus said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Jesus gets to ask the next two questions here. Then the disciples get a final question. And Jesus' first question is, why are you so afraid? Now, folks, this is not a rhetorical question. This is a question he wants us to stop and think about and come up with an answer. Why are you so afraid? It's one that demands some some introspection and an answer. Now, fear. Fear in itself, I believe, is is a a God-given response to historically harmful events, painful experiences, the unknown. If it were not for fear, we all would have died young. You know, as probably we wouldn't even exist today without fear because without a certain amount of fear, uh, shortly after Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, they would have died because if they weren't afraid of raging water or dinosaurs or whatever was on earth, I don't know, back then, you know, type of a thing. Fear in itself is good. 
It's a survival mechanism. Fear can be our friend or fear can be our enemy. Fear can paralyze us. I know people who are so gripped with fear they cannot leave their home. But most of us kind of fall in a middle ground here, I think. Okay? Yeah, there's a good, healthy fear that keeps us alive, and then there's a paralyzing fear, and then kind of in the middle is that continuous gnawing fear. And, and, and we've learned ways of coping with our fears, you know, but they're still there, but we cover it up, we wear a mask, so no, nobody really sees our fears. And our fears could be a whole wide variety of issues. Very recently, there was a survey done uh, of Americans today, uh, their top 10 fears, top 10 fears of Americans today. Number one, fear of Americans today is a terrorist attack. Okay. Number two, and I can really identify with this one, spiders. <laughs> That was number two on the list, okay? I don't like spiders. Number three was death, then being a failure, war, criminal or gang violence, being alone, the future, and nuclear war. It's kind of funny. When I was growing up, number 10 was number one on the list, nuclear war. You know, we, we add to that our health issues, our financial issues, our, our relationship issues, that fear of betrayal or abandonment. So we might ask ourselves first, what am I afraid of? Think about that for a minute. What are you afraid of today? And then ask yourself, why am I afraid of that? Some people are afraid of dying. I'm not afraid of dying. I believe in every way to be with Christ is gain. Absolutely. Some people are afraid of living. I fall more into that category. Okay? Uh, afraid of living. F afraid of living for fear of being hurt. You know, I, I kind of struggle trusting people, you know, because people I've trusted in the past have, have turned against me and betrayed that. Uh, and besides, you know, if you keep people in arm's length away, then they really can't hurt you. And I think a lot of guys are kind of in that same situation, you know, that, uh, you know, if I just keep people at an arm's length, if I just don't build those relationships with me, then, then they can't come and, 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 and hurt me. Of course, in doing that, what, what you really forfeit is, is, is close relationships and the enjoyment that comes from close relationships. So Jesus' question really begs for an answer this morning. Why are you so afraid? Can you name your fears today? Can you name them? 
Father, I just pray right now that you would give us insight into our fears, whatever they are. And Father, help us to put a name on it. Say, I am afraid of this. And then, Lord, answer why. Why am I afraid of that? Just as Jesus said, why are you so afraid? Father, thank you that you're greater than our fears. Question number three. Also found in verse 40. After he says, why are you so afraid? He asks this question. Do you still have no faith? You still have no faith. Jesus really pinpoints the reason they were fearful. And the reason they were, they were fearful is a lack of faith always leads to fear. Lack of faith is the root. Fear is the fruit. If we're afraid, we can trace it back to the issue of a lack of faith. Now, what is faith? There's a lot of bad teaching out there today in the churches about what faith is. Some people say faith is you telling God what you want him to do and then believing he's going to do it. Folks, that is not faith. That is presumption. I have seen churches go through horrible, horrible struggles in building programs because somebody got up and said, we need to have faith that God's going to give us $3 million to build this great sanctuary to God. That's not faith. What is faith? If it's not telling God what we want him to do and then believing he's going to do it, what is faith? Well, go over to Romans chapter 4. This is, in my mind, the very best description of faith. Romans chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. I want you to notice something. Faith begins with a promise of God. If God hasn't promised it, then it's ridiculous for us to believe that God is obligated to do it. Faith begins with a promise. Faith believes in the power of God to keep that promise. And then faith is being fully convinced. One of my pet peeves just drives me up a wall is when people misquote Scripture. Oh, I mean, that is fingernails on the chalkboard time. One of the verses of Scripture that is misquoted a lot of the time 
comes from the book of Philippians. And people will say this. Well, God, God has promised to supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. So if we need $3 million to build our sanctuary, God has to give it to us because it's one of our needs. The verse says that God will supply all our need. Singular, not plural. What is our need? What is our one need? Our one great need. Our great need is to know God. And God will supply our need according to his riches in glory. He has not promised that we'll always have food or we'll always have clothes because if that were true, then Christians would never freeze to death. And thousands of Christians have froze to death. If God promised to meet our need of, of food, then no Christians would ever starve to death. Hundreds of thousands of Christians have starved to death. It has, see, we Western people, we keep thinking in terms of materialism, okay? God's saying, I'm going to supply your need. It's interesting, by the way, in the Philippians had given abundantly beyond their ability to help the saints in Jerusalem. They had given physically to the Lord, and now God says, I'm going to supply your great need. You're going to know God because of your sacrificial giving. So that was sidebar. Okay, that was extra, but that was worth the price of admission, I think, really. Okay, okay. Faith. How's your faith today? Faith is based upon a promise of God. Now, again, not every promise in the Bible is written to us. Okay, God promised things to Noah that we cannot take and say, oh, God, it's in the Bible, so it's mine. God promised things to Moses that, you know, that he didn't promise to us, and we can't say, well, it's in the Bible, so, you know, that promise is to mine. In the Old Testament, we see God was committed to Israel's uh, health and wealth and prosperity in the promised land. Today, I believe what God is committed to is producing Christ-likeness in the believer. That's what he's doing today. See, the cross changed everything. Everything. When I was in the hospital, I had a young man come by. He, he, he was a transporter. Um, now, I don't mean that he changed into something else. Uh, but but he, he was one who, who wheeled people down to tests, okay? And he came in, and he said, can I pray with you? I said, sure. Okay. I didn't know who this guy was, where he was from, or anything. And so he prayed, and, and in his prayer, he demanded that God heal me immediately, okay? And number two, he went to an Old Testament passage, and, say, and I forget what it was, but basically uh, quoting it, saying that God was obligated to heal. And, uh, and I so, so much wanted to talk with him uh, and say, you know, uh, the cross changed a lot of things here, folks. 
what God was committed to to Israel may not be what God's committed to us today. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says this, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. You believe that? Nothing can separate us from his love. Notice it doesn't say nothing can separate us from his knowledge. It's not about knowledge. It's about caring. It's about loving. Nothing here on this earth can ever separate me from God's love. So like polycythemia vera can't. Breathing problems can't. Relationship issues can't. My own messed up mind can't. Nothing can separate me. And so I need to ask myself the question, are the promises of God more real to me than my circumstances? When I see with my eyes and hear with my ears, which is more real? What God says is true or what I perceive? In other words, do I walk by faith or do I walk by sight? The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. Do I believe that God can and will keep his promises? Now, every good Christian is going to go, oh, yes, yes, I do. Uh-huh, I believe that. Okay, but do my thoughts, do my emotions, do my actions support what I say then? Jesus said that what the disciples said, their, their attitudes, their resulting behavior gave evidence that they had no faith. The disciples could say, oh yeah, we have faith, but they're running to Jesus and saying, don't you care that we're all about to die, showed him the fact they didn't have faith. There are evidences of a lack of faith we can look for. Worry and anxiety. Fear that is contrary to the promises of God. You know, right now in our country, there's a lot of fear. Are you picking that up on the news, on the Internet? There's a lot of fear in our country right now, and it's causing people to make irrational decisions, crazy decisions. Here's a promise that God has never given us, safety. God has never promised us safety. Okay, But he's promised to be with us wherever we go. He's promised to work all things together for good, to conform us to the image of Christ Jesus. Those are things that he's promised. Father, help us to know and believe your promises. Help us to, uh, to understand that your promises have to be kept. You have 
to do what you said you're going to do. Otherwise, you're not God. Father, help us to be fully convinced, not partially convinced, but fully convinced that you can and will keep your promises, that you have that power. The fourth question found in in Mark chapter 4 is the disciples' question. They got to start it, they get to end it. It's found down in verse 41, Mark 4, 41. It says, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Who is this? Who is this Jesus? Notice it says they were terrified. It's kind of funny, I think. When, when they thought they were going to drown, it says they were afraid. And they, in a Greek, they use a lesser word than the word that's used now for their response to Jesus calming the sea. It now says they're terrified. Things got from bad to worse as far as emotionally, as far as they were concerned. But the question also expresses amount of awe and wonder with some fear thrown in. Now, you need to understand what happened here. The sea went from very large, big, crashing waves to mirror-like calm like that. Yeah, real quickly. (laughs) Instantaneously. It went from a huge storm to mirror. Now, water doesn't do that, okay? Water does not go from waves to absolute calm. That is not natural. That is a miracle, okay? Waves take time to kind of calm down and work down and and that. Verse 39 says, he got up, rebuked the wind, said to the waves, be quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and was completely calm. There's no question in the disciples' mind that a miracle just took place. And that terrified them. Why did it terrify them? Because they began to realize how powerful Jesus was. I mean, they'd seen him heal the sick, and they, they had seen him, you know, cast out demons. They'd seen some of these, these things. But they knew something huge had taken place. Even the winds and the waves obey him. Now, I'm not going to say a healing is a little miracle or casting out demons is a little miracle. But in their minds, it was compared to this. Jesus had the power to do the mundane, the small, the the medium, and, and now they're saying, wow, this guy is really powerful. Now, some people want to discount miracles, that miracles don't happen. You know, when a healing takes place, they credit it to the the mind's natural power over the body to bring healing to itself. Or they say it was coincidence. 
or they attribute it to mass hypnosis, uh, the power of suggestion, you know, a lot of things like that. If those things were true, none of them explains this miracle. Jesus did not hypnotize the water, okay? He didn't use a suggestion to the water to make it want to be calm. Jesus demonstrated to his disciples and to us today his great power. What's the wind and the waves in your life? What are the big things? Okay, we can talk about the little things. What are the the really big issues in your life? The things that you see and hear and feel, your circumstances. Whatever they are, they aren't the real issue. That's not the real issue. Uh, They are symptoms, the result of a force or a power that is affecting our life. We need to deal with the force behind the symptoms. And when we do that, the symptoms go away. You know, faith is a powerful force. Faith can deal a death blow to worry and anxiety and fear. And the Bible says that faith comes by what? Hearing the word of God. You say, my faith is so weak. Get in the word. Believe the word. Not just read it. Now, you can read the Bible till the rapture. It won't do you any good if you don't believe it. Israel, speaking of Israel in Hebrews, God said that, that they did not benefit from the promises of God because they did not receive them in faith. When we come to the word of God, we need to say, okay, God, show me something to believe. The word hearing is not just to listen and ignore, but rather to believe. So what it really comes down to is how do we answer this last question? How do we answer this last question? The question is, who is this man? Jesus. If he is who he says he was, God incarnate, then it should affect the way that we think, the way that we feel, and the way that we behave. Uh, There are a lot of us who call ourselves believers, okay, who need to ask ourselves, what is it what we we believe and, and what difference does it make in our life? There are a lot of unbelieving believers, Do we trust him in our, for our eternal destiny, but not to get us through the day? Why? Don't we believe he cares about what goes on during the day? It goes back to our first question. Don't you care? He cares about the big things. He cares about the little things. How big or small is our God? How big is our faith in him? Are we fully convinced that he is able to do what he promised, or are we just partially convinced, or are we just slightly convinced? 
Lord, help us to come to grips with who Jesus is. Father, either trust him or don't. Father, may we not be lukewarm. Father, help us to look at your attributes and your actions and be fully convinced, Lord, of who you are. I think as I look back over 2015, I need to admit it was one of the tougher years in my life. It really was. I was out of work because of sickness, injury, surgery, you know, for over a quarter of the year. I was trying to convince my new boss that I got about a year and a half ago that I am never sick, I'm never, I never I'm out of work. I don't even take all my vacation. I usually have hundreds and hundreds of hours of general leave. And she just shook her head, you know, because what she has seen and what I was saying were two completely different things. We've had a lot of serious issues in our extended family. So right now, I'm in the boat, okay? I'm in the boat with Jesus, and I'm in the boat with the disciples. How about you today? How about you? Are you in the boat? Truth be told, I think we're all in the boat at different times and in different ways. What do we do when we find ourselves in the boat? Number one, know that Jesus cares. That's number one. Number two, look for signs of of fear and anxiety and worry and then name them. Call them out. Number three, believe God's promises. Get in the word of God. Pray. Okay, my God is big enough to direct me to the passage of Scripture he wants me to go to. So I don't have one of those things that tells me where I've got to go and read in the Bible each day, you know, type of a thing. I go to God and say, God, what do you got for me today? And then I allow him to lead me and direct me. And that's a whole other story here. Believe God's promises. Number four, remember who God is. If he can create the universe by just speaking it into existence, if he can forgive our sins, if he can give us eternal life, then can't he take care of all the other little things in my life? You know, we need to take God out of that little box that we put him in and realize how powerful he is and what he wants to do in our life. Lord, We're all in that boat from time to time. Father, may we settle some things in our heart and in our mind right now. May we settle, Lord, that we know that you care. May we affirm that daily. May it be an affirmation when we get up in the morning. May we say, God, whatever happens to me today, I know you care. And then, Father, help us as as we go through the day and, and we start feeling fearful, we start worrying, we, 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 we start to become anxious, help us, Lord, to identify those things and to stop and say, I am fearful over this situation. I identify that as fear. 
And then, Father, I pray that we would have your word hidden in our heart so that your Holy Spirit can even direct us to a passage just instantaneously that has a promise for us, like I will never leave you nor forsake you, or I will work all things together for good, or casting all your cares on him, knowing he cares for you. Whatever it is, Lord, that your truth of your word would cast out the lie of Satan that's causing us to not believe it. And then, Father, help us to be aware of how big you are. And that, Father, if you can save us, if you can forgive us, if you can give us eternal life that nothing in heaven and earth can ever take away, then, Father, remind us that you can take care of that problem, that issue, that circumstance in our life. Father, thank you for 2015. Father, for some of us, it was a hard year. It was a difficult year. A lot of things happened. For others, it was a better year. Father, as we reflect upon it and as we prepare for a, a new year coming up here shortly, Father, may we benefit from the lessons that we've learned in this past year. And I pray all of these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.